0: you for the opportunity again to look to your word. Thank you for the privilege that it points us to Jesus. And as we study today these passages and as we look at Jesus anew, may we understand better the privilege that we have to testify of him. And may our worship today be acceptable to you and the lives we live this coming week as we go from our worship also bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. I've entitled Our Thoughts Testifying of Jesus. I would like to enter into what we want to study through a story, a story that you're well familiar with. And if you want to go in your Bibles, you can follow some of these passages with me. It's the day of the resurrection. Um, In your mind, can you picture it? Where are Christ's disciples? They're hiding. Um, they're grief-stricken because He's died. They did not expect it. Um, in spite of the fact that He had told them over and over again, this was what was coming. They actually resisted the thought, didn't make sense to their paradigm, it didn't match their plans, and they're hiding. It seems, though, that there were Among those disciples, some who remembered what he said and were not totally unexpected, not expecting the death. Uh, of, Of them, who would you think of? I heard somebody say Mary. Before he even died, she anointed him, remember? And Jesus interpreted her act, she's anointed my body For the burial. In other words, she said, Let me give it to him while he can smell it, rather than after he's dead. So it's not unusual or unexpected to find that in Matthew 28, the very first verse, who do we find? Early, early morning after the Sabbath day, the Sabbath rest, early, early on the first day of the week before the sun had even come up, who's headed toward the tomb? Mary, okay? And if you read the other stories, uh, this one also says there's another Mary there, so she's not by herself. And we know what, what the plans were. She's bringing what? She's bringing some more spices you know, for, for Jesus. There was, even though they had realized he was going to die, they seemed to still have been sort of Clueless as to what was actually taking place. And in Matthew, we can scan through the story. What has happened? An earthquake, an angel from heaven, and that big stone that had the Roman seal on it. What's happened? It's rolled away. Now, interestingly, in the stories, in none of these do you have a picture of Jesus coming out of the tomb. It just doesn't describe that. But we know what's happened because of what the angel says to the ladies. Matthew 28, 1-10. to Actually, Jesus runs into the ladies as well. But let's give you another passage here, Luke 24. Another account of the same event, and another picture, here there's two angels, and the angels are saying to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he's risen. Jesus was no longer in the sepulcher. He was victorious over death. Have you ever pondered what that victory over death means? The victory over death means that he had also been victorious unto death. Because only if he had been obedient, as Paul says in Philippians 2, only if he had been obedient unto death could death have no hold upon him. So his death was not for his sin. His death was for who? whose sin? Your sin and my sin. That's why his death was a victory. And the resurrection proved it. The death could not hold him. He is risen. And don't you remember? They're t- calling the people back to what they should have remembered, which they didn't remember. How many times had Jesus told them what was going on? And then in John, I've given you just three passages from the Gospels. This is the same story from John's viewpoint. And Mary is in this one as well, John 20, verses 1 to 18. And Peter and John are running to the sepulcher, and we know John was younger than Peter because he outran Peter, but he didn't go in. He was was cautious, and Peter came up from behind and went straight straight into the sepulcher, and Found it empty, and we know that, that story as well. And in summarizing these these stories, because we, here we have Jesus again talking to Mary. Um, in the Matthew account, he's actually meeting the women as they're leaving. But here's the sequence that we've seen. Jesus was dead. An angel comes and opens the tomb, and it's clear that that's when Jesus came out. And the angels remind the women of what Jesus had told them. And after that, if I can get my clicker to work here. Jesus met the women, one case is Mary, others, the women, and the women go back and tell the disciples, and what was their response? They didn't believe it, right? The men didn't believe the women. Sometimes that still happens, right? And Peter and John then go to the tomb, they have to see for themselves, but what do they see? The only thing they see is that he's not there. They don't see Jesus. Jesus has met with the women. But the they men have to take the women's word for it. So, apologize that this is not advancing as it should. The angels are reminding the women of the words of Jesus. And the disciples are not believing the words of the women. That's a theme that we're going to be seeing as we go through in our study. Let's go back to Luke 24. I'm going to be focusing on that part of the story, that account of the story. But we start with verse 13 now, because that same day... There's two men, and they're walking. They're leaving Jerusalem, uh, apparently after the news had reached them. Because when we we look, read through the story, that becomes evident. They're walking to this village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. That'd be a fairly good walk, right? Take you a couple hours to walk seven miles. And we know that Jesus comes along, they don't, they don't recognize Jesus, um, and they're talking among themselves, and the theme that they're talking about is what? What has happened? Okay. What has happened? Jesus comes along and he asks them a question. What are you talking about? And what is the emotion that he picks up on? Why are you sad? Jesus recognizes their emotion. And he addresses it. And they are surprised that he doesn't know what has happened. Verse 18, are you a stranger? You don't know what's taking place? And he, he plays along with that. He says, What what things are you talking about? Often God answers asks questions because he wants to draw us out, not because that he does not know. And they begin then to relate to him it's concerning Jesus. But watch the focus, verse nineteen. He was of Nazareth Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people but our leaders they delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him and then they make this very sad statement in, in verse 21 we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed israel what what tense is that in is that present tense we're trusting that he has redeemed israel If they had said that, they would have been saying, He died for us. He was victorious unto death, right? And then if they would have said that, they would have said, And we've heard that He's raised from the dead. Well, they say instead, past tense, we trusted, as if they no longer were trusting. And then they said, verse 22, Certain women made us astonished. They found not His body. And they've seen a vision of angels, and he's alive. But it's like, were they believing? Well, they said, we went to, went to the sepulcher, and we looked, and we couldn't find him. It was, it was empty, but he wasn't there. And what was Jesus' response? First of all, let's, let's ask this question. On what... Sorry. On what did they base their belief? Did you notice as they were going through the story, telling what they were experiencing? On what did the disciples base their belief? They based their belief... He was a he was a man mighty indeed and in word. Um, they based it on what they could see, went to the tomb and we couldn't see him. So do you see what is doing and as he as he talks with them? What does he say what does he say to them in verse twenty five? First of all, he says to them, Oh fools, if we have to learn something, what's the first thing that we need to know? We have to first know that we don't know what we need to know. We need to know in that sense that we are a fool. And then he says to them slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Where is Jesus taking their faith? In their experience? And what they've seen and heard? Or back to something even more fundamental? Taking them back to the scriptures. And then he asked them the question. If we can get our slides to work with us. Are you advancing it for me, Gabriel? Okay. Next one. Next one. And then one more, one more. He said to them, "Ought not Christ to have suffered, and to enter into His glory?" The word "Christ" is the word for Messiah. The Jews were expecting the Messiah, were they not? Did they expect him to be a suffering Messiah? No. And so Jesus' point in referring to the prophets and to Messiah is that don't you understand what the prophets said about Messiah? Didn't you know that that was the plan? What did they expect the Messiah to do? deliver them from their, their, their Romans that were ruling over them, to get rid of the Romans, to give the kingdom back to Israel, to sit on this throne. Uh, the question is, will Messiah sit on a throne on this earth? Yes. But was that the time for it? No. They were running way ahead of God. And so when we run ahead of God, we're disappointed. And they were experiencing this disappointment. And so he was taking them back to what their faith should be established on, and that is the Word of God, which was what he was explaining to them the years that he had been with them. And he was mapping out that he was going to have to die. Christ, the Messiah, was going to suffer and enter into his glory. The path to glory is what path? The path of suffering. Suffering is what giving looks like when you're in the presence of those that take. Is that not the cross? They were wanting to do what? Take his life. And he was willing to do what? Give his life. That's the essence of the cross. That was the Messiah's mission, to suffer and enter into his glory. Because it's those that give the most that win. It's those that give the most that are victorious. And we know the resurrection was a proof of that. And so he's drawing them to this realization that this is what the prophets were talking about. This was what was predicted. Are you understanding that? Do you not see the place that suffering has? You keep giving. You keep giving. And that's the picture that he's unfolding to them. And the story continues. We know what happened. They went to eat, and they realized who he really was. And then he disappears. And they run back to Jerusalem in the dark, apparently. Seven miles, can you imagine that? Um, And they, 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 again, look at it down there in verse... 33, going back to Jerusalem, finding the 11 gathered. By the way, uh, they're gathered still for fear of the Jews. They're still fearful. Uh, They haven't found any joy or hope because they haven't believed the story. And they say to them, the, the 11 say to them, when they arrive, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. That's an interesting story because when did that occur? Do we know? And Then the two from Emmaus, in verse 35, tell the things that were done to them in the way, and that how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. Again, the question is, did they they still believe all that the prophets had said? Did they base their faith on him as Messiah based on the word that Jesus had unfolded to them of the prophets? Or what are they still doing? They're still basing them on their experience. Okay. Is your experience as trustworthy as this? Do you see what Christ is bringing them back to? He's bringing them back to the rock. And the rock is the word of God. Are you to have an experience? Yes. God wants you to experience it. And you can tell your testimony. But your testimony of Jesus must bridge from your experience back to the word. Because this is what proves that he's the Messiah. Not just what you are experiencing. So that was the experience of of those men. Uh, Continuing on our slides, were they still fools? They still had a lot of things to learn. And of course the others did as well. Next slide. The last portion of our passage from Luke 24, we move to the next phase of the story, and that is verse 36, what happens? They've just finished the 11 telling the 2 what had happened, the 2 telling the 11 what had happened, and Jesus shows up. He appears. And everything's solved, right? No. What does it say? They're terrified and, and frightened again. Next, next build on this slide, please. Um, Jesus says to them, "What? Peace." Statement of faith. Again, based on what he has based his life, based on the word of God which has been fulfilled. But they're scared, and that is an element of unbelief. Right? He's standing before them. They see him. He's right there. And it shows you how shaky your own eyes are. Um, Your own experience is not something you can base peace on, security. It's based on something deeper than that. But Jesus meets them where, where, where where they are. Their focus is a physical focus. And what does he say? Come touch me. You know, I'm not a ghost. Do you have some food? Let me eat some food. And, you know, it's like. That shows I'm real, too. I'm physical, right? It's a a resurrected physical body he's trying to show because it it has the scars there of the crucifixion. But he doesn't leave them there. Verse 44. These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were what? What? Written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And apparently he repeats with them what he did with the two on that road to Emmaus. He takes their focus off the physical, off the even the experiential, as important as both of those are, he takes them back to the word, the Word of God. Would you like to have been there in that Bible study? Have you ever tried to go through Moses and the Psalms and the prophets and see Jesus all the way through them? I challenge you, do that. He's everywhere. This principle of giving, especially in the presence of taking, which is what suffering is all about, is all the way through the Bible. It's what this controversy between good and evil looks like. And all the way through the Bible is the picture of victory. Victory over the taking by giving, right? As Paul would later write, overcoming evil with good. That's the picture that, where Jesus took them. Okay, and he repeated the words, Ought the Messiah not to have suffered? That's verse 46. It behooved the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Next one. And what is the goal? Look at verses 47 and 48. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name where? Among all nations. Beginning where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, was in the last three and a half years of its probation based on the time prophecy in Daniel 9. And Jesus said, you're going to start here because they need to hear the word. There is going to be a remnant saved out of Israel. Correct? Romans 11, a remnant will be saved. And we know those three and a half years extended down to Acts 7, which was Stephen's final witness. And then you're going to go where? All nations. And what are you you going to be preaching? Repentance. Repentance in remission of sins. And then he says very plainly in verse 48, what? You are witnesses of these things. Had they experienced... They'd they'd experienced the cross, right? They'd experienced the resurrected Christ. They didn't see him raised. But more importantly, what had they witnessed... When they, do, when they will go out to preach, what, what will they witness to? They will witness to repentance. How many of you have ever served on a jury? Okay. Not too many people have done their civic duties, huh? Um, how many of you have even watched a court case? Okay, a few more. What's the important thing in a court case? The evidence, right? The evidence. And the evidence is is produced by exhibit A, exhibit B, by the witnesses that are called, right? Witnesses that are called. What are the witnesses sworn to? Raise your right hand. I swear before God to tell the truth, the whole truth, Nothing but the truth. That's a pretty narrow path, isn't it? That means you're not going to leave anything out. And you're not going to add anything. You're going to tell what you know. And that's all they want you to tell. You're going to serve the case if you do that. That's what a witness is. And Jesus says to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Repentance, have you experienced it? Do you actually realize that your repentance is not the main thing to witness to? It's actually the repentance of Jesus. You're his witnesses. We weren't back then, back there then, but when he was baptized of John at the Jordan, what was that baptism a baptism of? It was a baptism of repentance. Was Jesus repenting for something he had done? No, not any more than the cross was him dying for something he had done. He was dying for us. So the baptism of repentance was a rebaptism of repentance for us. He's repenting on our behalf. He's being baptized for us. That's the main witness that we give, is the witness about Jesus. Do we talk about our own experience? Yes. Because then we let people know that we've entered into that ourselves and the joy that comes from that. But we witness to Jesus. Remission of sins. Are we able to witness to the remission of sins? Remission means removal. It means forgiveness. It means something that's been cleansed. Uh, We witness to God by the remission of sins. And we know it's the blood of Christ that does that. That washes us. From our sins. So, this this word witness that we have arrived at here in verse 48 is a word that I would encourage you to study. Did you know we are all called to be witnesses? You could do a word study through the Bible of that, but I'm going to take you just to a few spots here. To anchor it, first of all, in what the Word of God really is. The Word of God to us, whether it's Moses or the prophets or the Psalms, they, they really testify of who? They testify of Jesus. Turn to John chapter 5. This is where Jesus actually says it. We saw him doing it there in Luke 24. But in, in John five thirty-nine. He says to the Jewish people, the Jewish people knew the Bible, they knew Moses, they knew the prophets, they knew the Psalms, they sung the Psalms in the synagogue every day, every Sabbath I should say, and they thought that somehow in the Bible, in the scriptures, in the the words that were written down, there was eternal life. And Jesus is trying to say to them, the words that are written there are all about me, 539, search, search the scriptures. You search the scriptures. You think in them you have eternal life. They are they which testify. There's the word, testify of me. And so if we understand the Bible as we ought, that is, that is who all the Bible, in fact, the New Testament now is testifying of him. In a sense, the Old Testament was testifying of Jesus in a prophetic way. He's coming, he's coming. Here's what he's going to do. The New Testament, the Gospels record what he did. They testify of what actually happened. And the rest of the New Testament is about testifying of what happened. Because it's preaching the Gospel, right? The Gospel is the, is the life of Jesus Christ. His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection. And all that that implies for our lives. Turn back to John 3. I challenge you with a verse in John 3 that maybe you've never looked at. John 3 is Jesus talking with Nicodemus, the first part of the chapter. The story of Nicodemus you're probably familiar with. This Jewish man that's coming to him by night, asking him questions, trying to figure things out. And in verse 16 is the best-known verse of the whole Bible. God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. See, there's the giving that the Bible's all about. God's love of the world that he gave. That's the giving that, that is the suffering that comes when there's people that are just taking, taking, taking. Did God suffer? Yes. He suffered in the death of his son. Did Jesus suffer? Well, the cross shows us the amount of suffering he went through. But back in verse 11, there's a verse we rarely look at. And this is a verse about testifying. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I say unto you, by the way, there's just Jesus and Nicodemus there, right? There's just the two of them. No one else in the story. I, t- I say unto you, we speak. Jesus switches for some reason to the plural. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Who's the we? Who's he been been talking about since the beginning of this conversation? Kingdom of God, the Spirit blowing like the wind, being born of the Spirit. So who's the we that's testifying? I submit to you he's saying that every member of the Godhead is testifying. What are they testifying of? They're testifying, he says here, what we have seen. What have they seen? What, what do they know? And what, what, is, what is coming out of that experience? And yet we're having such a hard time accepting their witness. We could go there. Elsewhere, Jesus says, the Father testifies of me, John. In, in John's gospel, he also says the Spirit is going to come, and he's not going to speak of himself. He's going to testify of me. There's the picture that we have. So go over with me in closing to John's epistle. First John. First John. And let's look at the very beginning of first John. Because this is John's this is John's testimony. He's writing it down. Verse one of, of, of chapter one. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Our, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. What's God's goal for all of us? Fullness of joy. As, John, as Jesus said to His disciples in John 15, these things I've said to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. But where does joy come from? It comes from understanding the principle of God's kingdom, the principle that relates to this principle of giving. And here it is, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is what? Light. I thought God is love. Here John says God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Light is simply something that God has created, a physical thing that we still ponder at. Is it a is it a wave, is it a particle? You know the the question of physics. But it is something, it's a form of energy that does not remain stationary. It's moving. Light is coming from something to something. It's, again, the picture of giving. Every object that is light is giving energy. That's what makes it light. So, again, this is the principle of giving. God so loved the world that he gave. God is light. He's giving. He's giving. His glory is to give. In him is no darkness at all. It doesn't mean he's just light. No. Light is the energy that comes from him. He's a personal being. He's not just energy but he gives just as we, you and I are called to give. So that's the picture that we have. And in John 4, 1 John 4, he wraps up our story for us in this way. 1 John 4, starting with verse 7. In my version, it says, Beloved, let us love. There are four words. Beloved, let us love. What does the first word tell you? You are loved. What do the next three words tell you? Pass it on. He has given to you. Give to others. Everything good you have has from him. Share it with those in need. Just as God has shared it with us. That's the basis for him saying, love is of God, everyone that love is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knows not God, for God is love. First time in this chapter, he'll repeat that in verse 16. A very powerful passage, dwell upon it, ponder it. When you love, you testify of Jesus. This is a love that is a giving love. It's an unselfish love. We have to define love these days, right? Because love is so misunderstood, it is so misdefined, it's so mislived. People call things love that are nothing like love. Um, God's love—it's an unselfish love. Here in His love, verse ten: not that we loved God, but that He loved us. It doesn't start with us. We have—we're not the source of anything. We're a reflector. We're a recipient that then can pass on the blessing. And that's where the joy comes from. Drop down with me to verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. He that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have, what? Boldness in the day of judgment. According to the prophecies of Scripture, what day are we in right now? We're in the day of judgment. Does it look like it? Just as we talked about in our Sabbath school lesson, Babylon looks magnificent. But what is it built on? It's built on the sand, right? Could judgment have begun as Babylon reaches its final Stage of development of of human and earthly glory again, judgment does not begin with a physical collapse, it begins with a spiritual collapse. Have you looked about you in society to see what's happening to the foundations of morality and civility and families? All of these things, day of judgment. And then he says, because as he is, he just got through saying how God is. What is God? He's light and he's love. As he is, so are we in the world. We are to reflect his light. We are to reflect his love. There is no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You have any fear? We need to grow in his love. Perfect in love means we're mature. And that's the one who's, who's, who's founded on a rock in the words of Jesus. He's heard his words and he, he's, in, he's in, internalized them. And Jesus says, if you hear my words and you internalize them, you're, you're founded on a rock, right? Not, the, not just the wishy-washy experience that we have, which is up and down. As important as our experience is, we testify of what God has done, But our our foundation is on the rock, and no other foundation can be laid than it is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And being the fulfillment of Scripture, he's the rock. We know who he is based on that. That's That's the witness that we're called to give, to point people to Jesus, to talk about his victory over sin, his victory over death, to describe the type of love he expressed as he lived among people and to reflect that in our own deeds that's testifying of Jesus and that will be the final witness that will be the final witness i leave you with this last verse revelation 12 and verse 11 they overcame him and this him is the dragon the accuser of the brethren also called satan and the devil and the the uh, serpent they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. That's perfect love. That's mature love. Are we there now? Probably not many of us. Does God want to grow us to that point? Yes. How does God grow us to perfect love? By Saying to us, look at my love. Behold my love. Look at it day after day after day. Read it prophesied in the Bible. Read it fulfilled in the Gospels. Read it in the teachings of the New Testament that are testifying of that love. Read it. Study it. Ponder it. Desire it. And you'll be changed into the same image from glory to glory. May that be our experience Is my prayer.
1: If everybody would stand up and we'll sing our closing hymn for today. Um, Number 462, Blessed Assurance. And we'll just do it a cappella if that's okay. I think your voices are far better than my guitar. So, 462. We'll go ahead and sing all three verses. Hope I picked the right note. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed.